I want to ask Alamo City family, I want to ask you to consider doing something. Many of you do this already. But when you come here on Sunday, those of you who are part of the extended Alamo City family, wherever you may be, our, our media family, our internet family, literally around the world, as we anticipate coming into these times together, <laughs> would you just pray, Lord, would you pour out your spirit upon your people as we gather together? You know, don't let it be, well, let's show up this morning and see what the worship team has got to offer. Or let's, let's show up and just see if the preacher can say something that we'll laugh about. Forget that. Forget that. If he isn't in the house, nothing's going to happen. And he inhabits the praises of his people. He loves to hear the redeemed of the Lord say, thank you, Jesus, for setting me free. Thank you for making a change in my heart that's bigger than what I could change. Thank you, Lord. Lord, would you pour out your spirit? Would you pour out your spirit on your people as we gather? I just want to encourage you to pray that way. Pray that way. There are enough folks that come in here just kind of daring the church to bless them, you know, just, just daring the choir to do or the worship team to do something that it's a foot patent. So I just, we've got enough of that that adds nothing to the atmosphere. But when the Lord's got 500,000, 1,200, 1,500 folks that will come in a room and just already pray, and Lord, pour out your spirit. Lord, visit us. Pour out your spirit. Then, yeah. Yeah, that'll help the preacher preach. Now I'm telling you, you get a little boring without you praying. So let's let's don't let's don't go there. Do you find John chapter six this morning? The Gospel of John, chapter six. We don't have very many traditions at Alamo City. <laughs> But, but we do have one or two in addition to the regular times when we, we meet together on Sunday mornings. One of those is what we call at the first of the year, Seek Week. Seek Week, where we adjust our schedules as best we can and we set aside some days to seek the Lord, to seek the Lord at the beginning of the year. So we're not waking up in July and realizing, foot, I wish I'd prayed about that. It's already come and gone. It's already happened, and I don't know that I even brought the Lord into it. It just was a day on a calendar, and it happened. Instead of that, that we realize that, that we need the Lord. We don't just need to know about him. We just don't need to be singing songs or quoting verses we, we need his presence. We need his strength. We need to feel that somehow he is generating hope inside us. And so we desire to start the year just going ahead and giving the year to him. A simple theme, a simple theme for this year's Seek Week, which by the way is um, set to begin next Sunday on Super Bowl Sunday. 
and you say, why are we starting it on Super Bowl Sunday? Well, the non-spiritual reason is we don't have anybody playing in the Super Bowl that we're really interested in. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. I told you that wasn't spiritual. That wasn't, that's just part of the answer. <laughs> the real answer, just there's a sense that we could begin with that first Sunday on February. And for those Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, praying, seeking the Lord, and then on Wednesday night, which will be our return of first Wednesdays, of the first Wednesdays for this spring, the ladies, as a part of what you will be doing on First Wednesday, will be observing the Lord's Supper together as a group of ladies. The men out in the gym will be doing the same as a part of what we'll be doing. Our youth down at the end of the hallway will have the opportunity to do that as well. So we'll begin on the first Sunday of February, and we'll finish with the Lord's Supper together on that, on that Wednesday night. Here's the theme if you need a theme, just calling it Seek Week, Seeking His Presence is enough of a theme, but here, here is another way of putting that. Laying it all at the feet of Jesus. Laying it all at the feet of Jesus. I want to point to three specific passages of Scripture this morning where there were folks in the scripture laying some things at the feet of Jesus. And then what he did in response to that. The first one was a young man who laid his provision at the feet of Jesus. How provision had been made for him, what he was counting on to provide for him, and how he was moved to lay his very provision at the feet of Jesus. This is a great story. This story is recorded in most of the Gospels, but there's only one of the Gospels where we find out where those five loaves and two fish came from. Where those five biscuits, if you're from South Mississippi like I am from, where those five chunks of cornbread came from, or where those five tortillas, corn or flour, <laughs> came from, and where that, those two catfish fillets, if you're South Mississippi. The only place we find that that came from from a boy is in John chapter 6. The others talk about five loaves and two fish, but there's only one place where we find out where it came from. John 6 verse 1, after these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee or Tiberias, another name, and a great multitude a great multitude was following him because they were seeing the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there 
he sat with his disciples and the Passover of the Jews was at hand. Jesus, therefore, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a great multitude was coming to him, said to Philip, where are we to buy bread that these may eat? I've got to keep in mind, folks, this was in the days before electricity. This was in the days before Taco Cabana. It was in the days before Chick-fil-A. It was in the days before anything fast food, anything refrigerated, anything with ice in it. These people had heard about this young man called Jesus, but what they had heard about about him was the fact that Sick people were getting well. Babies were getting better. Folks who hadn't been able to walk were able to walk. And that was so phenomenal to them, so unusual, so striking, that they literally would pick up and leave the towns, villages, or cities that they lived in And if they had somebody sick in their family or somebody sick they cared about or in need that they cared about, they would figure out a way to get those who were sick, infirm, diseased, crippled, into the presence of Jesus in hopes that he could make them well. Now, you stop and think about that. If there was no penicillin that you could go and get a prescription fulfilled at HEB, or or there, there were no surgical techniques to be able to fix a bad back or a shoulder that's not working, and there were ones you cared about, maybe it was you, maybe you're one of those, but you hear about that there's somebody that I could go to and maybe that person could be. That, that's why when the word out went out about these miracles and Jesus being associated with them, that's why there were so many to count. In the Bible where they used, when they used the word multitudes, that means there were too many to count them up, to add them up. It had reached the point of multiplication. It had reached the point of the exponential. A multitude, great multitude coming out. And And Jesus looked at them and saw that they didn't have anything to eat. They were just coming. (laughs) So desperate that the ones they cared about would get, well, they they didn't even have the ability or took the time to make provision for food. Where are we to buy bread that these may eat? Jesus asked Philip. Verse 6, And this he was saying, Jesus was saying, to test him, to test Philip. For he himself knew what he was intending to do. Jesus would say, I don't do anything except what I see my father doing. I don't say anything except what I've heard my father say. So somewhere, at some moment in time, before this event occurred, Jesus 
had already seen what the Father intended to do. Philip answered him, verse 7, 200 denarii, 200 days worth of wages, worth of bread is not sufficient for them. There's so many, for everyone to receive even a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves two fish. But what is that for so many people? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now let me just insert this. Who were these people? Were these Baptists? Were these Catholics? Were these Americans? Were these in any way of measuring it, moral, church-going, Bible-knowledgeable, good people. Not on your life. They were a cross-sample of the culture in that day who had heard that there was a young man who had the power to make sick folks well. They came from the highest penthouse that the Romans could build for their centurions all the way down to the lepers who were considered so unclean that nobody would be around them. They weren't Jesus-believing people. They weren't necessarily morally pure people. They were just people. That, I'm telling you, for when that drops 18 inches and we get this thing lost and out of our brain that the only ones that Jesus really cares about are the ones who are clean, straight, slick, neat, no hair out of line, never said a cuss word, never lied, never cheated. Forget it. And that's a good news. He said, I came to seek and to save that which was what? Say it, lost, lost, lost. I didn't come for well people, I came for sick people. Now, you know, I'm telling you, we just kind of, kind of got to look around this morning and remember, remember what God got when he got us. He didn't get much. And here's something even more remarkable. We didn't find him, he found us. The lover of your soul, the lover of your soul, the lover of your soul, not when you started going to church, but before you ever knew there was a church. All right, now that, that, that's not all right there, but it is all right there. Have the people sit down. Have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the the men sat down in number about 5,000. Not counting the women and children, some will say this gathered group could have been easily 10 to 12,000. 10 to 12,000. Jesus, therefore, took the loaves and having given thanks, 
He distributed to those these five loaves, five hunks of cornbread, five biscuits, five tortillas, flour, or corn. He took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated. In other words, he broke, and he kept breaking, and he kept breaking, and he didn't run out. It just kept, it just kept coming out. It just kept being there. Likewise, also the fish, as much as they wanted, as much fish as they wanted. Likewise, as much fish as they wanted. They were just for trying to figure out two verses ago how everybody's going to get just a little bit. And when they were all filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. And so they gathered them up, filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. When therefore the people saw the sign which he had performed, now this is about to show you these are not necessarily all church people. It's not all, you know, card-carrying Jewish people. They said this, this is of a truth the prophet who has come into the world, the prophet. Well, that's just a great big category of religious people. They, were, they knew enough to know this kind of miraculous stuff can't happen unless God's involved, but we don't have a clue who this man is. And I'm saying that because, folks, sometimes we get so churchianitized, if that's a word, that we think the only ones that the Lord really wants to bless are the ones who've always grown up in church. They've been... been they've, they've, Never done wrong. Never been outside the flock. No, no, no. They didn't. They didn't know who. They, they didn't know. They didn't know his name. But still, he blessed them. They hadn't asked forgiveness, but still, he blessed them. And through what means did he choose to bless them? It says a lad, a lad, a lad. Now that. That, that's bigger than a toddler, I would imagine. Let's just throw out there a seventh grader, all right? We got some around here roaming around. They're not, not young adults and not toddlers, but they are young men with huge appetites. They wake up in the morning thinking about, what am I going to eat? Before they think about what I'm going to put on, before they think about am I going to brush my teeth, before, for goodness sake, they think about have I got my homework done, it's going to be what's for breakfast. Now you say, well, where do you get that, Pastor? Well, I'm glad you brought that up. How many of you grown men in one sitting can eat five biscuits? Huh? Now we might be able to work through two fish. Fillets. But are you looking at what this mama packed for this boy? <laughs> I'm submitting to you that he was a growing boy with a mouth that worked and a stomach that was bottomless. And Andrew, working the crowd, found him. 
And so when they're trying to figure out what we're going to do with all these hungry people, Andrew, just sort of as an aside, because he knew it was just a little bit, just a drop in a bucket for all those thousands of people, he mentions this boy and what this boy had. Five loaves and two fish. Somewhere in between the time (laughs) that the Lord took it and blessed it and broke it, the five loaves of fish, Andrew had to go out there and fetch those things from that boy. <laughs> you know, if there hadn't been some kind of generosity and unselfishness already working in that boy, he would have gathered his loins up about him and grabbed his sack of food and headed for the hills. And Andrew couldn't have caught that boy. You're taking my groceries. (laughs) More important to me than life is what I'm fixing to eat. You you ain't having my biscuits. Some way or another. And this is what seems to happen when you're in the presence of Jesus. It's just a sense of generosity that begins to happen. A sense of unselfishness that can begin to happen. Some way or another, this, this lad lost, lost sight of his own appetite, his own need. And he let Andrew take it. Oh, now here's another thing. In this, in this matter of of the Jesus that we are to approach, the Jesus that we're to lay everything down to, the the one we say is the lover of our souls. He took that boy's food. (laughs) Sometimes we've got Jesus fitting a bill that he he doesn't fit, that he's never going to do anything that might surprise us. He'll always fit in what's normal and what's courteous and so forth and so on. The reason Jesus took it is because he had already seen what the Father had in mind. So the boy brought the, or they brought the food to Jesus and he took it. He didn't offer any kind of an apology. No recorded explanation whatsoever. He took the boy's supper, all of it. Didn't flip him a biscuit. Didn't break off the end of a catfish tail and hand it to him. Took it all. Took it all, every bit of it. I don't miss that. But here's what he did with what he had, what was given to him, what was brought to him. He blessed it. He blessed it. You know, David, King David didn't do everything right. He did a lot of things right. He did a few things wrong. But here's one thing he did understand. And it's in one of his prayers. Lord, I'm not asking for the blessings of men upon my household. I'm asking for the blessing of God upon my household. Lord, I want you to bless my family. I want you to bless my children. I want you to bless my grandchildren. The blessings of men, the blessings of culture, the blessings laterally can only go so far. I'm asking you to open the windows of heaven out of your infinite heart. 
pour out upon my family and upon my lineage your blessing. There's something about the blessing of God. And when this boy handed to Jesus what he handed him, everything he had provisionally, Jesus took it. <laughs> and then Jesus prayed the blessing of God upon he prayed the blessing of God upon it. Then it says, he evidently broke it because he began to pass it out. He broke it. What was given to him was not going to stay in the same form that it was given to him. The, 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 the tortillas were going to have to be torn off a little bit. Those, those, those loaves were going to be broken off but they just kept being broken off. Some would say in commenting on this, Jesus is God in the flesh. This was the creator God creating again. <laughs> the power of God to speak to nothing and say let there be and everything lit up is now the one with that little old boy's biscuits and the little boy's fish and in his hands breaking it up and passing it out. It kept going, as we read, until everybody had not just some, but everybody had plenty. You know, I wonder if that little boy, that lad, that young man, that seventh grader, had a ringside seat. I wonder if Andrew, when he came with the boy's lunch, maybe the little boy, maybe the boy brought the lunch with him and gave it to Jesus. Or maybe if Andrew took it, the boy followed Jesus. And he's sitting there. And he's watching. What? There were just five loaves and there were just two fish and what is that that's going on? Okay, laying your provision at the feet of Jesus. I just want to encourage you, as we step into this time of laying things before the Lord, this, this seeking the Lord in a few days' time, that we're just not intended to be the exhausted, exhaustive limit of such a thing, but, but a beginning point where specifically, not generally, but we're going on record. I'm not just praying, Lord, I ask you to bless everything I've got. Lord, I'm giving to you my business. I'm giving to you my income. I'm giving to you what is provision to me. That's what this boy's lunch or supper meal was. It was his provision. And I'm taking what is mine, what you have blessed me with, Lord, and I'm laying it at your feet. Somebody get the idea, well, if I give everything to the Lord, then he might not give anything back. Hey, he might, I, might, I might lose everything. Here, here's the example. Not only do you not lose everything, but by what you give, Lots and lots and lots of other people yeah. can be blessed 
through what you have given. My provision. It may not be a business. It, it, may be, it may be something real small. It may be something real young. It may be something that hadn't even completely morphed into what you'd like for it to be yet. But I just want to challenge you and encourage you and invite you, people of God. Lay at the feet of Jesus whatever is your provision <laughs> so that then you can look forward to seeing the blessing of God upon your provision instead of just the blessing of men. Don't sell your privilege to be blessed short. Now, you know, this, the boy didn't turn into a baker billionaire from this, okay? All of a sudden, electricity didn't happen. All of a sudden, conveyor belts didn't happen. All of a sudden, mass production didn't happen, and he's just this gazillion billionaire forever and ever and ever. That was not the point of the blessing. The point of the blessing was for him to be able to see and know that God took the little bit that was little in the eyes of so many, little in the sense that it came from a little bitty person, little in the sense that the portion was very small, but God took his little and blew it up. <laughs> I know I holler and y'all wonder, why can't he just say that softly? I'm sorry, I try. But, but there's just, when there's some kind of a resonating of truth in my heart, I just get loud, you know? I, I just can't have, that. yeah. God has the ability to blow up your little, to blow up your cornbread, to blow up your honker catfish, to blow it up into something that won't just take care of you, but there'll be masses of people. Or you say, well, this must be a church event. It wasn't a church event. It's not that you're necessarily gonna come the next Billy Graham. These were people, we don't even know where they went, where they came from. But what if it's in the heart of God to just bless people in general, to show the kindness and goodness of God that would lead folks to repentance, that it has nothing to do with a denomination or a church, but it gives you ability to see something, to know something, understand something that will work. He plants that in your heart. He shows you how to do it. And you give it to God, all of it. And just ask him to bless it with heaven's blessing. And Lord, you take it and you break it and you do what you want to do with it. It's yours. It's yours. It's yours. Amen. Laying at the feet of Jesus. We come into seek week, seeking his presence, seeking his blessing. But as we do that laying at his feet, even our provision in whatever form that comes. Secondly, you to find the gospel of Mark, if you would, the gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 5, verse 1, it came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerizines, and when he had come out of the boat, Immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him, and he had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough 
to subdue him. And constantly, night and day, among the tombs and in the mountains, he was crying out, gashing himself with stones. And seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. Laying your out-of-control places at the feet of Jesus. Laying our out-of-control places at the feet of Jesus. You see, at a point like this and a setting like this and realizing we're coming into a time where we're wanting to seek the Lord and to seek his blessings and his favor, what we got to understand is, is that we stand before him naked. We stand before him naked. Naked. Everybody got that? Naked. Clothes, degrees, positions, possessions, street address, relationships have all disappeared. Physically, we stand before him unclothed in a sense, spiritually, emotionally. We stand before him with nothing that works as a disguise. Open and naked before him with whom we have to do is one of the New Testament references. That being said, that's not intended to be a, a, a um, um, disillusional kind of thing. Oh my goodness, oh my goodness, if he sees me the way I really am, well, he does. And still he loves you and me. That, that, that there's, there's no plastic, phony mask or game that we can play that keeps him from seeing who we really are. And I want to just say to you, even though we clean up and smell good, having come to know the Lord in years past in our lives. And even though we got a marked up Bible and we got journals filling up shelves and so forth and so forth and so forth, that does not mean that there can't still be some crazy places in us. Still some places that are out of our control. That if we could have fixed them, if we could have stopped, we would have stopped. If we could have begun, we would have begun. Relationship, habit, a crazy place that it owns us. And, and you see this, they had put chains on him before. They had, they had shackled him up before, but he just kept breaking them. How about you? All the books we've read, all the prayers that have been prayed over us, all the stuff, all the knowing that we shouldn't do it, all the turning over the new leaf to we ain't got any more leaves and any more trees. 
And it's still that out of control place. Here's the good news. Here's the awesome news. When that crazy man, feared by everyone who knew him, came to Jesus, he was coming to lay at the feet of Jesus his craziness. The little boy brought something reputable, something wonderful, something great, five loaves and two fish. The crazy man comes. Same Jesus, different responses by the ones who were coming. But look what he does. Verse 8. He'd been saying to him, Jesus had been saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. He was asking him, what is your name? And he said to him, my name is Legion, for we are many. He began to entreat him earnestly not to send them away out of the country. A big herd of swine feeding there on the mountains, and the demons entreated him, saying, send us into the swine so that we may enter them. Gave them permission. He gave them permission. Jesus gave them permission. Who's in charge of who? Who's the boss man in this setting? He, he gave them permission. And coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine. The herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. Their herdsmen ran away and reported in the city, out in the country, and the people came to see it was that has happened. Look at verse 15. And they came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed, demonized, harassed by demons, sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind. The very man who had had the legion, and they became frightened. They, they, saw, they saw this guy normal, and they were, they were more scared of him normal than they were used to dealing with him crazy. And so they told Jesus to leave because we can't handle this kind of power. That's another whole story. <laughs> Laying at the feet of Jesus, our out-of-control places. Instead of assuming that he doesn't know, instead of assuming that I've got to fix that on my own, if I could fix it on my own, I'd already fixed it and you would have too. And we wouldn't be having this conversation. So the point is, there's something. Maybe that's, here's another out of, out of 1 John. If our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. If our hearts do not condemn us, that, that, that means something that we're doing, something that we know that is wrong, something that we know that doesn't fit God's call in our lives. And as a result of that, we feel condemned and therefore we don't talk to the Lord. We don't have confidence to talk to the Lord. And so the devil works overtime. He just keeps reinforcing that and keeps trying to convince us you're a loser. You'll never be anything more than a loser. You'll always be broken. You'll always be a problem. You'll never be able to be free. That's Satan talking. That's not the Spirit of God. If our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. 
That means as the Lord, by His Spirit, by His power, comes to set us free in those places. And that was written to Christians. That's in 1 John. That's, the, that's written to Christians. If our hearts do not condemn us, Christians, then we have confidence before God. Therefore, we need to be free of our condemnation. We need to be free of our, of our guilt. We need to be free of our shame. How's that happened? The Lord, by the work of His Spirit, by the strength of His might inside us, not only working to show us we've already been forgiven, but working the strength of Jesus inside of us to break the shackles that the enemies tried to put around us. I want you to know, be reminded of Isaiah 61. As we move into the seek week, as we move into laying at the feet of Jesus our out-of-control places, not that they've been set free yet, not that they've changed, nothing has changed, same old, same old, but it's caused us to feel that we can't approach God or God wouldn't hear me when I pray because my heart's condemning me. Jesus stood up in the synagogue in Nazareth when he was stepping into his public ministry. They handed to him the scroll of Isaiah, and this is what he read. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me, anointed me, enabled me, empowered me, equipped me to bring good news to the afflicted. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. He sent me to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. So they will be called oaks of righteousness. Who? The brokenhearted that get their hearts back. The captives who get set free. Two times he mentions this matter of liberty to captives. At the end of verse 61, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. Liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. Jesus says the anointing of the Spirit of God is upon me to set captives free. I, I just, I just, I want to shout this out, but with love and the sound of the shout, is there something that controls you instead of you controlling it? Is there something you can't quit that you know is detrimental, you know it's defeating, you know it's even death maybe? Just understand that all the church games, all the scripture quote, and all the Christian friends don't do anything to camouflage what God sees in our heart. And he's saying it to us. I can set you free. <laughs> I have the power to set the captives free. I have the power to let a prisoner out of jail. Trust me, lay your out-of-control places at my feet and see what he will do. Amen? Amen. Now, now, look, now, now, we, we, 
you know, I just need to clarify what's, who is in this room. I've said before, we, we clean up and we smell better and we, we look a little more fashionable maybe than when the Lord caught us and got a hold of us the first time. But on every row, on every pew, every life in this room and one's listening, we are sinners having fallen short of God's plan. God said, but here's what we are. We are sinners who have been forgiven. We are sinners in whom the life of Christ pulses. We are sinners in whom the Lord is saying, just open wide the doors of your heart. Open category after category. Open every shelf. Pull out every drawer. Don't let there be any closet. Let me in all of it. Because what I specialize in is setting captives free. Getting prisoners out of the jail. You may have never been assigned a cell number, may have never had a, your picture taken in, in the post office. But that's only one kind of prison, and there can be far worse prisons about folks who've never known that kind of prison, but they're living in a prison. So as we seek him, not playing games, not playing games, not trying to convince him of something that he already knows isn't true. (laughs) Lord, here I am. come to you as a captive. I come to you as a prisoner. I'm laying my crazy places. I'm laying my out of control places at your feet. And we're going to bring an end to part one. We'll do part two next week. Okay. But I want to invite you to do a couple of things as we move towards next Sunday. Some of you already have your list of things to lay at the feet of Jesus, but some of you may not be sure what that means, what's that to be. Would you ask the Lord, as a child of his, my sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. Would you ask the Lord to help you understand and to see what it is that he wants you to lay at his feet? Ask him. You don't have to make something up. Just ask him. And then I would encourage you to consider this. We've never done this before in a seek week. But I want to encourage you to consider that there may be a partner in this. A brother, brother, a sister, sister, a husband, wife in this. That you enter it We enter Seek Week together. That one knows because you can trust them. You've walked enough down this life journey to realize they're safe. You can share with them. They can share with you. And you've swapped lists as we head into the Seek Week. There's power and agreement, folks. 
It's power and agreement. The Lord encourages us to pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's talking about agreement. Lord, we want what you want. We agree with you. We may not even know what that looks like, all of what you intend, but we're on this earth agreeing with what heaven wants. Come thy kingdom, be done thy will. But then he also talks about where if any two of you agree on earth as touching anything they may ask, the Father in heaven hears and honors. That may not be the case for everybody, but you'll have a sense of being drawn to someone, them to you, if that's what we're supposed to and, and, and for goodness sake, this is kingdom. This is not local church. This is, you, you may have a friend that, that you're close to. They were, lived here for a while, but they're in Timbuktu now. And, and you, but you're together. You contact each other, Facebook, text, whatever. And that's the one you'd be drawn to. They, they don't have to be in the city. They don't have to be a part of this church. But whoever the Lord would lead you to. Lord, show us how to pray. Show me how to pray. And show me if there's someone else that you want me to be in agreement with as we move into that. So this is pregame. Pre-game seek week. Okay. Today, let's do our work. Let's see what the Lord says, shows us this week, and then we'll plan to come back in next Sunday and we'll begin those four days, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday trying to set our schedules, adjust our schedules, set aside some things so that we can have some time to seek his face. There'll be instructions next week, printed instructions on fasting, various types of fasting, if you feel led to, to do that, and some other instructions that will be hopefully helpful. Laying it all at the feet of Jesus. Amen. Lord, thank you for this amazing group of folks in this house this day. Thank you for the amazing group that's not in this room, but the thousands who are connected with Alamo City by, by way of our streaming ministry. Thank you, Lord, for each one of them. And we're counting on you, Lord, in your mercy and in the way that you know how to do it, to speak to us, to speak to our hearts, to let us know what it is that you want of us to lay at your feet so that we can know the blessing of God upon it, not just our own efforts and just the favor of man, the blessing of God upon our lives and those we love and those we touch. It's so good to be in your house today, Lord. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, all the people said, amen. Amen. Amen.